We have we never have been never accused been of being flat, 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 fancy, or cool, cool, cool. I mean, seriously, we named ourselves Booking.com. It's kind of our thing.
and good evening, everybody. So good to see you back in the Lord's house tonight. We're going to be singing, God said you're going to make it. How about that? Sometimes you wonder, don't you? But God said you're going to make it. Let's hope you enjoy our song tonight. God said it, it's going to happen. Can't always trust me, but you can trust the Lord. Let's stand, would you, tonight? Let's sing two or three little praise choruses together, and then we'll let our pastor come and welcome us tonight. I'm so glad I'm a part of the 
Thank you, Brother Greg and ladies, congregation and choir. What a blessing it is just to be able to hear the good songs and join in the good songs that praise our God. That's what we want to do tonight is just praise the Lord. Appreciate you being back. Thankful for those that are online. Appreciate you worshiping where you are with us. Pray the Lord would meet with you. And we're just excited for what God shared to us. And I'm excited to share it with you. So you pray for us a little bit that we can be the messenger of God tonight. Also, just want to make mention, several people asked me on the way out, uh, they had forgot about the love offering for Mrs. Tucker. Can they do that tonight? Absolutely. You can just drop that off in the chest as you come or as you go. We get a total. We will share that with the church family. And so uh, whatever you do will certainly be a blessing. And uh, again, we're going to do our very best to uh, be able to take care of uh, her living conditions. And so appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord. Also, if you would, I ask if you would remember, continue to remember Mr. Bo. Um, that's Pat and Jim Graham's uh, son. He is... Uh, he is in the hospital, and he really needs your prayers. And so I ask if you would continue to lift him up in your prayers. Also, um, don't forget Scott and Patty's uh, grandbaby, Audrey. That was such a blessing uh, to be able to come and to pray with you guys and to pray for that child. I pray that, uh, I was telling Scott earlier, I, I pray next time we do that song, it's got the cardboard testimonies. Uh, they'll, they'll be included in that number to praise God for what he's done for that child. And uh, I know that he's faithful to take care of her. So continue to pray for her. Her surgery's on the 11th. Kim goes tomorrow, right? So let's remember her. She's got a melanoma on her arm. And so got to also remove a lymph node. So just pray that everything's taken care of and she gets a good report back and lift her up in prayer. Also want to remember uh, Miss Norma Mettler. Uh, her other hip uh, replacement is the 26th, so a couple days from today. And so pray for her. Everything goes well and she gets through that because she's dying to get back here to the house of the Lord. Two brand new hips. And so just pray for her that everything goes well. And Brother Wade, he's got a surgery coming up, eye surgery. So remember him. And uh, I know he'll appreciate your prayers. And so I know there's probably several others. And 
Uh, I may not know them all, and they're not on my list, but um, I love you. And you've got something. I'm glad we've got a God that loves us more. And we, we can take that to Him, and I encourage you to do that. I, I'm thankful the older I get how thankful I am that I can crawl up in the lap of God morning, noon, or night, or maybe you're like I am several times throughout the day. He's there. Aren't you glad he said, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you? We all have burdens. But as I said this morning, we may be going through some stuff, and I believe we are. But we're not without hope, and we're certainly not without help. And so we want to go to the Lord and lay our petitions at his feet, and also praise him for his goodness, and then come expecting that God would give us what we're in need of tonight. Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful that you're our God. Besides you, there is none else. We're thankful to come to the house of God one more time to be able to worship you. I pray that you'd help us to do that in spirit and in truth tonight because you're worthy of all of our thanksgiving, praise, and adoration. You're a great God. You have given us life, help, strength, and eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we are blessed and grateful. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us tonight. There's so many needs. I mentioned just a few. But, Lord, in every pew, there's a broken heart. There's a need. There's an issue. Lord, there's an overwhelming circumstance that needs a touch of God. And I pray that you'd help those who are in need. I pray you'd help those who are broken and bereaved. I pray that you'd give comfort. You'd give peace. You'd give help. You'd give hope. You'd provide healing. And, Lord, we'll praise you and give you thanksgiving for what only you can accomplish. But, God, as you help your people, I pray that we'll be grateful. And we'll praise you in advance. We'll praise you often. We'll praise you early. And may the people around us see our love, our affection, our worship of the living God and be drawn to you through your mighty works. Lord, I pray you'd bless us tonight as we come together to worship you and to lift up our voices in song and open up our hearts and minds to the truths of the word of God. Lord, when it comes time for invitation, may we be found being faithful to your call. We ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Need to tell you earlier, but Dina told me that there's a ladies' Bible, uh, a ladies' a Bible in the ladies' room. So uh, I hope it's a ladies. If you've misplaced one of yours, it may be in there. All right, let's stand and sing, would you? Oh, how I love Jesus! The choir's coming down. Let's sing this from the top of our voices, will you? Yes. Yeah. 
that good singing. You may be seated and Rachel and Addie come to sing for us tonight and it sure sounded good in practice. I'll tell you that. It's good to be back this evening. I brought some help with me and this morning sing about the blood of Jesus and I'm so thankful for his salvation. And you know, after we're saved, we're called well, we actually talked about it in Sunday school this morning, but we're called to tell others about Jesus. And so the name of this song is, um, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus. I hope it's a blessing to you. Aren't you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all the stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way when there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus Love is strong and his grace is sweet And the good news is I know that he Can do for you what he does for me Let me tell you about my Jesus And let my Jesus change your life Hallelujah Hallelujah Hallelujah, amen, amen Who can wipe Broken dreams and wasted years Tell the past to disappear Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus And all the wrong turns that you would Going under if you could Who can work it out for your good Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way when the rain always Rises up from an empty Let my Jesus change your life. 
the price for all my guilty who would care that much about me let me tell you about my jesus oh he makes a way when there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he can't save let me tell you about my jesus his love is strong and his grace is That's all right. I know Rachel knows how proud I am of her, but Adeline, my goodness, what a great, great, a great job. I appreciate her. That is so good. Nothing better than seeing children praise the Lord, is it? Now, Adam and Matthew's working on theirs. Give them a little time, right, brother? He's working on theirs. He said he'll just sing up there. <laughs> Day's been good already. I just appreciate the Lord's goodness. Thank you for coming back tonight. Excited to share God's Word and the Old Testament prophets. We're in the Minor Prophets and we're in the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last of our Old Testament prophets. Malachi chapter number 3 tonight. Malachi chapter 3. We're going to transition to a little better subject matter, I think. We've been looking about these corrupt priests for a little bit. Now he changes gears to the promise of purification that's coming with the coming of God's messengers. And so Malachi chapter 3, I'd like to look at verses 1 through 6 with you tonight on this promise of purification. So if you found your place and you're able, we'd invite you to stand with your copy of the Scriptures open. And let's honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible inspired word together. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, Behold, I will send my messenger... And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swears and against those that oppress the hireling in their wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. 
Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Father, thank you again for the privilege and the high honor to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim the truths of the Word of God that you've laid upon our heart. God, I need you, and I pray you'd help me to decrease and you increase. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, for you're our strength, you are our Redeemer. We appreciate your presence. We lean on your power. We need you, Lord. Do that which pleases you, and we'll give you praise as we ask all of it in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Again, the promise of purification is the theme of these first six verses. The Spirit of the Lord, in my opinion, has graciously and temporarily taken the prophet Malachi's mind away from the depressing situation and grievous sins of the people to the delightful day of the Lord's coming. I understand. You can't walk around with your head in the ecclesial clouds all the time, but it is good from time to time to look away from this depressing world and all of its corruption and sin and look unto the author and the finisher of our faith. It's good just to look up sometimes above the doom and the drear down here to the coming of the Lord. Now, this is in reference to a couple of different things as you read with me. You see about his first advent as well as his second advent. That's the ideal many times with these minor prophets. Remember, they saw in part what you knew as whole. They saw the revelation. They saw the coming of the Lord Jesus. But the first advent and the second advent, and sometimes even with the event of the rapture, seem to be one-dimensional. They've seen all of this as truth in the coming future. You and I see the whole timeline. We've got more of the teaching. We understand we can put those things together. But he's just saying that it's going to be a day when the Lord comes back, and that's the answer. That's the answer to all sin and all wickedness of all societies is the coming of the Lord. It should have been taking place and should have took care of it in the first advent. Jesus came as a babe in Bethlehem's manger. When Jesus came to give himself a ransom for many, when he died on an old rugged cross for the sins of the world, that should have been it. They should have embraced him as their king, their Messiah. But he came into his own. His own received him not. They rejected him. He's coming again. And this time they'll not overlook him. But as you'll recall in Malachi's day, the priests were polluted. And instead of being representatives of righteousness in which they were called, they were promoting evil and wickedness. And you know as well as I do, as goes the priest, so goes the people. The essential nature of having strong, good leadership it's essential because what's in the pulpit will be in the pews. What's in the White House will be in your house and my house. Everything rises and falls with leadership. They were claiming God's blessings upon wickedness and were sneering in skepticism by asking, where is the God of judgment? You remember, it's not been that long. We just discussed all this. It's here in our text that God answers them by promising to send His messengers and His Messiah. He would expose their sin. He would purify His temple. And the Bible says that judgment begins in the house 
of the Lord. Why? Because God will never allow his children to live like the lost world and get by with it. And so tonight we're going to learn about this promise of purification. And we're going to make application how we don't have to wait. That can be available even in Christ tonight. First thought I would give to you is found in verse 1 that I read to you. And it shows us that purification comes through the messengers of God. Let me read that one more time. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And so we have the promise of God's messenger. Now, who is this referring to? Well, it don't take much as a Bible student to understand you can flip right over to the next books of the Bible. I'm talking in the period of the Gospels. And you learn that this is a reference to the coming of John. John's coming was certain. That is the last and the final prophet of the Old Testament era. The prophetic announcement is of supreme importance because the word behold here suggests not only something shocking, but something that is certain to happen. And so after Malachi, when you close the canon of the Old Testament, God didn't speak a word to humanity for 400 years. From Malachi to Matthew, God never uttered a word for 400 years. Bible scholars call that the silent years, rightly so. That's a long time without hearing the voice of God. That's a long time to go without instruction from the Lord. Why were the silent years there? Maybe because they didn't listen to whatever was given to them before. And for 400 years, God didn't speak a word to humanity, but the Bible says... That one would come. One would come out of the darkness and depravity of human nature, out of the silence of God, he finally spoke. God sent his messenger, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, to declare what? The Bible says the word of the Lord to the people of God. He was the voice of one crying out of the wilderness, say, Make ye the paths of the Lord straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I don't know about you, but to me, as a follower of God, that would be a day to rejoice, and that would be a day to shout. You know, for 400 years without saying a word, I would assume, I'm just being me, I would assume God's finished with the human race. Man, we're done. We're toast. I don't know about you, but I, if I go to bed tonight, and the Lord allows me to sleep, and he's good enough to walk to my bedside in the morning and wake me up to a new day of life. I don't, know what your, I, don't, I don't know what your disciplines are. But I seek the Lord first thing in the morning. Boy, if I couldn't hear him. If I felt like I couldn't meet with the Lord. I'd be afraid. I'm just talking about me tonight. I, I'd be afraid. I think desperately I'd try throughout the day tomorrow if the Lord allowed me to leave. And I, if, I couldn't, if I couldn't meet with the Lord. If I couldn't get in my study in there and pull up the Word of God, get on my knees and 
feel like the silence, the silence of God was overtaking me, I, I'd struggle. 400 years. God said he's coming. I'm going to send you my messenger. He come preaching. He come proclaiming the day of the Lord. He come to make his path straight. Ladies and gentlemen, to me, that's a day to shout and rejoice in. God's not wrote off humanity. God's not finished with humanity. There's yet another prophet. You know the way they treated the prophets. And yet here is one crying out. His coming was certain because God said so. His calling was clear. John prepared the way of the Lord. By his coming, he was preaching and he was preaching repentance. I like it. Calling men and women everywhere to turn from their sins and turn to the living God. He was calling men and women to remove whatever sins in their life, whatever stood between them and a holy God through repentance and draw up to Him. John was God's messenger, preaching repentance and pointing people to Jesus. Oh, happy day. I can't paint a better picture than this. We take church for granted. We don't care if somebody gets called to the ministry or not. We don't really get excited when somebody knocks on our door and tears us about Jesus. We don't get beside ourselves when somebody at the workplace said, you know what, I'm a child of God. I want to talk to you about how God changed my life. Let me, as the girl said, let me tell you about my Jesus. We just kind of look at him. That's not a work of man. That's a work of God. We ought to get beside ourselves. We ought to be excited that God's not finished with humanity. The way we've treated the men of God, the way we've treated the messengers of God, the way we've treated the word of the living God, that he would even put up with us. Boy, that's the way it was in that day. But John's calling was clear. He was to make the Lord's path straight. He came preaching repentance. And all I can say, should, we in our, should our calling not be the same? Is our mission as a Christian not the exact same thing? Is that not the only way? Is that not the only way that purification can come to our polluted society? Repentance is the answer. That is the message. That is our mission. Your calling is sure. Your commission is sound. Go and share that Jesus is coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Lord's coming, he said, would be sudden. And so John prepared his way. And immediately following the preparatory work of John, there Jesus appeared. That's one of my favorite stories, though. I, I appreciate an old man that'll dress in camel fur. You know that was in vogue. You know that was the latest fashion. Eating grasshoppers and honey. He can have his diet. I liked his dress. But yet he come preaching in the boldness of the Lord. And while he was preaching, it must have been pretty effective. Maybe I need to get me a suit of camel hair. Why would you say that? Because he preached repentance. People don't want to hear that anymore. He preached repentance. And you know what happened? Oh, you know, all of Jerusalem. I can't even get all chinkapin here. Don't laugh at me, you can't. All Jerusalem, all of Judea, and the surrounding areas came down to the river Jordan to hear him preach 
on repentance and we're willing to repent and by faith look to the one who has promised to come. And there while he was baptizing, some said, are you the Christ? Are you kidding me? I'm not even worthy to lace up his shoes. And right in the middle of that great movement of God, John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'm glad they didn't miss church that day. Why? Because they saw Jesus. They didn't just hear see Jesus. The Bible says they saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it was the Spirit of God. It was, a, it was a visible, tangible manifestation of the Spirit of God light upon him in the river Jordan. And on top of that, they all heard it. They heard the Father roll back the clouds and say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What a glorious day to be at church. What a glorious day. I'm thankful for the promise of God that he would come and he would come suddenly. And so there was the messenger of the covenant. He came that answered the skeptics who said, well, we're enjoying our sin. If you say there's a God of judgment, where is he? There he was. There he was. Right in their midst, he stood there between them and God. John, the messenger, preaching repentance, pointing people to Jesus. And there was Jesus himself, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God to not only prophesy and proclaim the truths of the kingdom, but he came to the temple, the Bible said, in power and authority, even at 12. I'd like to have been there too. At 12 years old teaching and preaching among the doctors and the scholars of that day, and they were blown away. They were astonished by the wisdom that he retained of the kingdom of God. And later, he would return in judgment with a whip and drove out the money changers and castigating them for turning in his father's house into a den of thieves. So that answered the question of those in the chapter 2 who says, yeah, we're enjoying our sin. Where is the God of judgment See, he doesn't operate on our timetable. God operates on his calendar. And if the Bible says he's coming in judgment, mark it down. He's coming in judgment. There is a day of reckoning on his calendar. And when he summons, it will happen. Notice the Lord's calling was sure as God's messenger of the covenant. Our Lord had submitted himself to the will of the Father. He got up out of the garden of Gethsemane wiped the sweat and blood from his brow. He crossed the Kedron Valley into the temple once more. As we just celebrated a couple of weeks ago with Palm Sunday, he walks in. And by the way, that wasn't just a, that wasn't just a celebratory ride, a fanfare. That was a declaration as Israel's Messiah. That was the declaration of he, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. He walked into the temple and presented himself to the will of God out of Gethsemane into the temple declaring that he was the just sacrifice, the perfect blood from a covenant. The Bible says a new covenant ratified with the shedding of his own blood, the perfect lamb of God for the sins of the world. And so the Bible teaches us that's how purification takes place through the spotless lamb, his sacrifice. The coming messenger, John, who prepared the way. The last and final messenger of God, the Lord Jesus, who made the way. Second of all, purification comes through the means of God. Look at verse 2 with me. Who may abide the day of his coming. 
This refers more to his second coming and who shall stand when he appeareth. For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he shall set his refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purify them as gold and silver. They may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And so purification comes through the means of God. In other words, God's means is one to judge sin. Always does, always will. There's judgment upon sin. God's fierce judgment does several things, but one, it, about, it, it establishes fear. He asked the question, the prophet did, who can endure the day of God's wrath? Who can stand in the day of his judgment? Another writer said, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, who can abide it? That's a great question. That's the question I want to ask those who say they don't need Christ. That's the one I want to ask those who said, I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. I don't need the Lord. I'm fine. I'm doing my own thing. I'm living my own life. I'm good. That's good for you all, but not for me. Don't need it. My only question is, in the day of God's judgment, and it's coming, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. All I want to ask is, who can abide it? Who can stand? Who can endure the day of God's wrath? I promise you that no human flesh will be able to abide and endure the wrath of Almighty God. No lost man, no hardened pagan, no fierce unbeliever, no calloused, unrepentant sinner will be able to stand the fierce anger and judgment of Almighty God, period. It is a fearful thing, the writer of Hebrews said, to fall into the hands of the living God. And to that I say, Amen. One of the reasons that I got saved is because I feared God. I feared His punishment. You say, I don't believe that. Well, you're dumber than a demon. Did I just say that? Oops, that came out. But it's true. Why would you say that? Because I'm still in the Bible. You don't believe me? James chapter 2. The Bible says the demons of hell fear and tremble at the mention of his name. Can I take you to a maniac of Gadara? You want to tell you about a man that was driven out of his mind with not just one demon but legions? God was good enough to come by and help a guy out, delivered him. Do you know that those demons knew Jesus by name? Can I tell you those demons not only recognized Jesus, but they recognized His sonship and His supremacy. Thou Jesus, Son of the Most High God. I'll tell you something else they recognized. They were fearful of His punishment. They said, we adjure thee by God that thou torment us not. I'll have to say, many of the regions of the damned are smarter than those walking our society. I fear God. I heard the gospel as an eight-year-old boy and I trembled because I knew I was a gross, habitual violator of God's holy law. I knew that the wages of my sin was death and hell. I feared God who could cast both, Peter said, body and soul into the lake of fire. That did something to me. Y'all just looking at me. See, you're used to a generation that's been raised without hell being preached from our pulpits. 
See, when it's absent from our pulpits, it's at home, in our hearts, and in our schools, and in society in general. I'm glad I grew up with preachers who stand and proclaim the truths of God's holy word. There's a hell that's hot, and it's to be avoided. See, if you don't fear God, if you don't fear God and his punishment, you will never, ever bow before him in repentance. No, we're proud of our sin. We're proud of our stubborn nature. But unless you see yourself for who you are and understand the supremacy of Almighty God, you'll never bow before him and seek pardon for your sin and the gift of eternal life. Mark me different from the rest of the world. Mark me different. I fear him. I fear God. And so the Bible teaches us that in his coming, his judgment upon sin, it brings fear. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit of God's still working on me. Y'all still with me, right? John 16, verse 8, I'm still in the Bible. If I leave the Bible, you can leave me. As long as I'm in the Bible, you stay with me. You don't shout amen, nod your head. John 16, verse 8 says, The Spirit of God convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. There it is again. God's still working on me. This old boy gets out of line sometimes. But the Spirit of God jerks a knot in my tail. Reminds me there's a day that I'll stand before a three-time holy God. I still fear Him. Oh, I'm saved. I'm sealed. I'm as good as delivered, but I don't want to cross my God. I want to delight in my God, and I want Him to delight in my service unto Him. And so the Bible teaches us, yes, His judgment upon sin brings fear, but it also brings fire. God's fierce judgment brings fire. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. He gives us the analogy in this text that I just read to you about a refiner. A refiner who refines silver or gold. And like a refiner, God's judging fire remove all the unpleasing and unpleasant things in our lives. No sinful flesh will ever be justified in the presence of God. I'll tell you tonight in the truth that unconfessed sin ignites and fuels the flames of God's judgment. And unconfessed sin is the fodder and the kindling of the fires of hell. Something else we see as the means of God not only to judge sin, but to justify the saints. It's going to get good now. If you've not shouted before, you ought to shout tonight. That is, if you're saved. Come get saved, then you can shout. Justifies the saints by, by refining them. You need fire in your life. It's good if you're saved. See, the Jews expected the Messiah to come. They'd been promised from Genesis 3.15, they knew the Messiah would come. They wanted him to come and to judge the heathen and the lost sinners and pagans. But Malachi warned the skeptics that God would most certainly judge them, but he would judge the Jew first. See, the fire of God's judgment will consume the unrepentant sinner, those who reject God. But God's judgment will not destroy the child of God. It will refine them. 
like a refiner of silver, God will put us in the fire to burn the dross off. You, you've been in the fire. You, you'll be in the fire. But God's children's coming through the fire. Yeah, you all think about that for a little while. He's going to bring us through. Why? Because Greg just sung it. God said you're going to make it. You're going to make it, but you have chaff. You've got dross. Don't you look at me like that. You've not arrived. You've not made it. There's some things in your life and mine that are displeasing to God. You need a little fire of God's judgment in your life to rub off those rough edges, to put you in the fire. Granny used to say it this way. I don't like going through trials. I don't like going through fiery issues in my life. But Granny used to say, what don't kill you is good for you. <laughs> I've heard some of you all tell me in difficult circumstances individually or as a church family, you say we'll be stronger and better on the other end as long as we trust Him and obey Him. You've taught me that, and that's a good word. That's what the Bible said. Fire's unpleasant. I tell you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to be thrown in the fire. I don't care what you say. They didn't want to be thrown in the fire. They want to be left alone. They didn't want to be bowing down to some pagan. They certainly didn't want to be punished for doing what's right. They didn't want to be wrongly accused and sentenced. And in that moment, Miss Kathleen was right. In that moment, God will give you what you need. You'll shock yourself what comes out of your mouth and how you're able to stand when you thought you would fold and be done. But it's not you, it's Him that lives inside of you. Then they just shocked themselves and they shocked everybody and said, throw us in. See, you've lived long enough in your Christian life, you know fires are essential. You know you've got to go through some difficult times and you get to a place and you just come like this and you pray, Lord, whatever you will for me. It may be difficult, but I'm not alone. See, I promise you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the other side of getting out of that furnace, they weren't sad no more. They was dancing. They were shouting because there's a fourth man in the fire. Can I come to tell you tonight that God doesn't come to get you out of the fire? God is in there with you. He's refining you. He's burning off the dross. I promise you that those three old boys that loved Jesus loved him greater on the other side. They were stronger. They were more equipped. And they were on fire for the Lord. And so the Bible teaches us that his judgment upon sin in your life and mine is like a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire. He refines the silver. God's judgment may put us into the fire only to burn the dross off. Or like a fuller soap, it is the judgment of God that will scrub us thoroughly and cleanse our lives from sin. And to that we should welcome the process. As Ephesians 5.27 says, that he may wash us by the water of the word of God, that he may present us a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing. So fires are tough, but they're essential. Soap's good when you're dirty. Maybe, maybe David really understood that in Psalm 51 when he cried in repentance after his sin was exposed by God's fire. He said, wash me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. David said, I need to be clean. I need to be clean. So what's the lesson? That's just God's motive. That's God's means. He's going to judge sin every single time. For the unrepentant sinner, his judgment will consume him. No one can abide it. But the judgment for the child of God 
It's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. You come out cleaner and stronger on the other side. That's the process of purification. And so he does that not only refining them, but he promised to revive them. See, it's only after the refining process can reviving come. Yeah. See, there's people in church that just have a grand old time. They're enjoying themselves. They don't ever want to leave. You have to turn the lights out on them. They're afraid something else is going to happen. They're going to miss out. Man, they just wish choir would sing again. They're ready to call up Rachel and Adam and say, do it again. They're never looking at their watch. They're saying, preach, preacher. They'll shout. They'll rejoice. They're having a grand old time. Why? Because God's doing a work. He's reviving their spirit as he washes them and refines them. He's reviving them. And there's others in church that just are enduring church. Y'all going to let me preach now? They look like they're miserable. They look like they're sitting in a dentist chair getting a root canal with no Novocaine. You should have poked somebody right there beside you. Why? Because they need to go in the fire. They need a bath. They need God's refining fire in their lives. They need God to scrub them like a fuller. To get them white and clean. Isn't it amazing you can't really smile? You can try it. You, you can't really sing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can't raise a hand. You can't rejoice and praise the Lord when there's sin in your life. Is that why so many people in a Baptist church just look like they're petrified? That's just a good question. Come clean. What well, helps? Anybody or is it just me? I've been there. See, I can preach this stuff from my heart because I've lived it. Anybody else crawled up to an old-fashioned altar? Anybody else said, God, I don't like this. I'm so sorry. God, I want what everybody else is getting. I'm tired of being left out. Oh, God, I want to enjoy your presence again. God, I want to be clean. You no longer get that out of your mouth. Y'all going to help me tonight? And the burden of your soul is lifted. It's rolled away. You feel like you could walk on air. There's a smile comes to your heart and your face. You know that you and God are all right. You don't understand it, but God has wiped it away. God is true to his word. You confess your sins. I'm faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you're looking at Greg and saying, don't stop singing. Keep on singing. I want to rejoice in the goodness of God. That's what he's talking about. That's purification that comes. That's when you've had your hearts revived when you've been through the refining fire of God's judgment. He said, in that moment, in that time, then your offerings can be pleasant and pleasing to the Lord like it used to be. Then shall the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem be a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. Purified priest offerings would be acceptable again. God's never going to take from you from dirty hands. You can try to sing a song, but if your heart's not right, it'll flop. Oh, you may have perfect pitch with people, but you've got a terrible pitch with God. 
you'll never teach a Sunday school class that will do nothing but roll off the lectern. It may be hermeneutically and homiletically sound, put together, doctrinally pure, but dirty hands and an impure heart, it'll flop. Whatever your offering is, you know, offering's not just dollars. Whatever you offer to the Lord will not be pleasant or pleasing unto Him without being refined and revived. Aren't you tired of saying, I just want to help you tonight. Aren't you tired of saying like them in Malachi's day, I just want church to be like it used to be. Hey, listen, the church's not changed. The Word of God's not changed. I can't say that for all over the place, but I'm, I'm committed as your pastor. I'm going to hold the standard. I'm going to seek out the pole pass and walk there in. I'm going to hold to the truth. I'm doing church God's way. So I just go ahead and alleviate all your fears. Church's not changed. It's not going to change. Word of God's not changed. Not going to change. Why ain't church like it used to be? Because you're not like you used to be. You need the fire of God's judgment. You need to get in God's wash machine. You need a bath. And then your offerings will be pleasant and pleasing unto the Lord. It's true. In the New Testament, Malachi foresees, I think, in this text, the church. Every member of the true church of the living God is a purified priesthood in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 says, Yea, also as lively stones are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice, listen to this, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, whom you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises unto him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. So he's telling us that each one of us who are saved are capable of offering up a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto the living God. Paul said so in Philippians 4.8. Paul said, but I have all and I abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the sayings that were sent from you as an odor of a sweet smell and a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. So there's two times in the Word of God reminds us if we'll get our hands clean and our heart pure, whatever we do in the economy of God, it can be pleasing, profitable, and acceptable unto the living God. But refining comes before revival. And I believe the greatest revival comes when you know that you and God are all right. Finally, we close tonight with purification comes through the mercies of the Lord. Look at verse 5 and 6 and we go home. And I will come near to you in judgment. And I will be swift witness against the sorcerer and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and that turn aside the strangers from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, are you not consumed? So purification comes through the mercies of the Lord. In the Lord's mercy, there's swift conviction. It's seen in what he calls in the text the near visitation, or we would call that a, a close confrontation. Near to you in judgment. 
And so let me just make this blanket universal statement because that's what it is and it's true. All men everywhere will experience the conviction of sin by God's visitation. Period. God convicts of sin. He's not like me. He's not like you. We take breaks sometimes. He never punches out. I've already quoted to you John 16, 8. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. God convicts all men everywhere of sin. God convicts. There's no problem with that. But the mercy of the Lord is found in this conviction. A lot of people look at the word conviction and they feel as it a social or a spiritual taboo. Not me. I welcome the conviction of God. That God would actually convict a man or a woman of sin is mercy. To prevent them and to persuade them from wallowing in their sin that leads to death and destruction. Oh, I thank God that through conviction, He makes us aware of our sin. He urges us to return, turn from our sin and repent of sin in order not to be given over to the fruit and the destruction of our sin. But those who reject the sweet convicting power of the Spirit of God will not be refined and will not be purified. He will consume them in judgment and consign them to the flames of eternal retribution. So be careful not to silence the convicting word of God in your life. I welcome it. I want it. Every time, every time in the word, Every time, whether that be in men's Bible studies, Sunday school class, in worship, wherever it may be. I hope you do. I always say, God, speak to my heart. God, show me where I am. I pray it for you. I hope you don't think I'm just routine and don't know any other prayers. But I pray it for you quite often. Search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. There be any wicked way within me, lead me into the way that's everlasting. That's a prayer from the psalmist. That should be your prayer, my prayer. That God would visit us and God would convict us. Why? So that he may refine us and revive us and not allow our sin to destroy us. There's a stern condemnation. <laughs> if you learned here in the Bible, God calls sin what it is. Sin. Without partiality, without discrimination, God condemns all, and I'm going to lump all these together. God condemns all spiritual sins, all sexual sins, and all social sins. There they are. He doesn't sugarcoat them, so why should we? Preacher, you're going to offend somebody preaching on homosexuality or adultery or idolatry or fornication or drunkenness. Why, Preacher, you just, listen. Just because society says we ought to tame it down and not be offensive. Good night, we're offended by everything. You know what? I, I, I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm not being mean. I just don't think God cares. God calls sin, sin. And I think if we're going to follow the model, we need to call sin, sin. Social sins, spiritual sins, sexual sins, they're sins. They're sins against God, and he condemns those. He does not sugarcoat them like society. He condemns them, and he will judge them. So who dares to treat sinners in this fashion? Doesn't he care about their feelings? The Bible said the Lord of hosts is his name. That's him. And so my hero, my model, 
It's not Hollywood. It's not any celebrity. It's not any professional athlete. My model is the Lord Jesus Christ. My hero is the Lord of hosts. That, that's his name. And if God calls sin, sin, we need to learn to abhor that which God abhors. Oh, are you trying to be offensive? I'm, that's not my heart. If, if you think that's my heart, you really don't know me. I'm not to offend people. I'm to speak the truth in love. But I'm going to call a spade a spade. But I'm going to tell you at the same time, out of the same sentence, yet there's a holy God in heaven who said, all we like sheep have gone astray. And there's a holy God in heaven who died on a cross for each and every one of us and all of humanity's sins. And those who come to Him in repentance and faith in Christ can be born again, be pardoned and forgiven, full and free. Don't bring condemnation without the hope of conversion. That's the gospel. And so God has a stern condemnation for sin, but he has a sure covenant. I get ahead of myself. <laughs> That's the one and only reason for Jacob's mercy. He said, I am the Lord and I change not. I like that. So if God says adultery is wrong and society says it's right, who's changed? Society. I'm sticking with God. It's still wrong. Whatever it may be. If lying's good to society, it's wrong with God, I'm going to stick with God. Why? He changes not. And I've got to stand before him, but he says... Therefore, because he doesn't change, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's a sure covenant. He is a covenant-keeping God. That is the only reason, that is the only reason that Jacob received mercy. I mean, why didn't the Lord simply wipe away his rebellious people? That's a good statement. I wonder why God don't send down lightning bolts now. My skin stands up and the hair on my skin stands up the way our world treats our God and His precious Word. The way they reject His darling Son. There's many a time I've looked up in the heavens just like Habakkuk and said, Oh Lord, how long? We don't deserve anything but the judgment of God. But tonight our greater rejoicing comes from the mercy of God. And that He is a covenant-keeping God, and He doesn't change. That means He has an impeccable nature. That means He is truth and cannot lie. That means He has made a promise to their fathers, and that would never change. And that alone was the reason that God would come, and God would purify the saints, and He would punish the sinners, because He is the Lord, and He changes not. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, The Lord's mercies are the reason that we are not consumed. Because of his compassions, they fail not. All of that is future. All of that concerning Israel in that coming day. Why will there be a remnant spared? Do they deserve it? Not on your life. Not on your life. But God made a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he's the same. Yesterday, day, and forever. But what about their behavior? It doesn't change. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. See, a covenant or a contract is an agreement entered into by two people. And that contract is binding as long as both keep their agreement. If one fails, 
contract fails. Not a covenant. A covenant is not contingent upon you or your behavior. On the Jews or their behavior. That covenant was entered in with their father, ratified by blood, sworn by none greater than himself, who will not lie, who made a promise, and he changes not. He is a covenant-keeping God. And when he comes, that remnant who has made it through the fire of God's judgment will be washed like a fuller soap. They will be clean on the other side. He'll open up the fountain. Repentance will be offered. There will be, oh, I'm telling you, there will be a revival like no other. They'll see him for who he is because he's a covenant-keeping God. That, that's future. I told you tonight when I started, I'm going to make application because this was not just for the Jews, but for us too. God's coming and he's coming in judgment. Some will consume by his judgment. There are others that it cannot abide. They cannot stand. There'll be those who'll be like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. They'll be washed. They'll be clean. They'll be refined and revived. But for us tonight, we don't have to wait till the Lord's return. Tonight, our purification can be now because of Jesus. There on the cross of Calvary, as I've already said a dozen times, he paid a debt he didn't owe because you owed a debt of sin you couldn't pay. And there on the cross of Calvary, through the shedding of his blood, remember the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin, but because of his precious blood, though your sins be as scarlet, he can wash them white as snow. Because of Christ, you can be purified. You can be washed. You can be a partaker of his divine nature. Purification can come tonight. Some of you just need to be saved. That's found in Christ Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if we're honest tonight, there's some here that's saved, just like many of those in Judah and Jerusalem. And they've allowed the crookedness and the perverseness of society to get them a little dirty. Listen, you live down here and rub shoulders with pagans day in and day out, don't tell me you can't be influenced. We're supposed to be influencing them, but sometimes they influence us. Sometimes you just need a spiritual bath. You don't have to wait. You can come tonight. You can come. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you from your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I just ask you to listen to the prophet Isaiah. Call on the Lord. Why is near? Seek him. Why yet may be found. I don't know a lot, but I do know this. He's here tonight. He's with us. Tonight's a good night just to get clean. Father, thank you for the privilege and honor to share the truths of your word. Lord, would you take our feeble efforts and do something that would magnify and glorify your name. Lord, I pray you'd use your word and your spirit to save that which is lost and convict and cleanse and challenge us who are saved. Give us clean hands and a pure heart to do your work. And in all of that, we'll give you praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.